episode 13 of Exceeding Expectations. Welcome to another edition of Exceeding Expectations, the show about creating exceptional experiences for your customers. And, and the guests on this show typically have the mindset of, of loving to over-deliver and ex- really exceed their customers' expectations. And they're always trying to think of, of new ways that they can do that at, for each customer that they work with. It results in fantastic testimonials, lots of referrals, and it's just a better way of doing business. The guest on this week's show is Jay Bear. I saw Jay recently speak at the Youpreneur Summit in London a couple of months ago, and he was absolutely superb. And he's he's written a few books. His latest book is called Talk Triggers, which was released um, about a month or so ago. And he's also got a book from a couple of years ago called Hug Your Haters, which has some really interesting insights and some different ways about thinking of bad reviews often people think that you know you get a bad review and there's not much you can do about it well listen in and jay will may may well change your mind on that viewpoint right now i've got a promo for a show called hot butter business entrepreneurship is a fun word but a tough journey if you are on the entrepreneurial path and need some help along the way tune in to hot butter business podcast where four entrepreneurs who met through a program called Co-Starters decided after the program to start a podcast. They each use their unique skills, talents, and businesses to unite in this podcast in order to give their audience a look into the mind of an entrepreneur. So subscribe to Hot Butter Business Podcast and walk with these four aspiring entrepreneurs on their journey. In this week's edition of Exceeding Expectations, I have a guest here called Jay Bear, and I'm delighted to be speaking to Jay. So how are you? I am delighted to be here. Thank you very much. I'm going to try to uh, exceed expectations. Uh, I guess we'll find out. I don't think there'll be much doubt that you will certainly exceed expectations. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. For, for the listeners, I saw Jake speak a couple of weeks ago at a, an event in London called the Youpreneur Summit. And um, the talk he did was received, it, well, it was received so well by the audience. There was so much value he gave in that. So that's why I have utmost confidence this is going to be a great oh, episode. Thanks so much. So. So and I, I was looking before, I mean, I've read a couple of your books. I've read uh, the recent book you released, Talk Triggers, and Thanks. also um, one from, I think it was a couple of years ago, Hug Your Haters. That's right. Yep. About two years ago. And, and both of them gave so many great ideas, some of which I'd never, yeah, I'd certainly never considered before. How, how is it you got into this, this whole kind of area and talking about sort of customer experience and so on? I have been in the professional services kind of marketing consulting business now for 25 years or more. So I've, I've, I've helped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of businesses get more customers or, or keep their customers. And even today, while I spend a lot of my time uh, traveling around giving presentations and writing books, I, I still run a, a fairly large consulting firm and, and I'm still involved in that stuff a, a fair bit. And and so I'm around customers and I'm around companies who are trying to solve customer problems all the time. And so every time I, I write a book, it's it's usually based on the same circumstances, which is when I hear my customers, my clients asking the same questions over and over, I think, huh, 
if these folks, some of whom are the most iconic brands in the world, if they don't know the answer to this question, a lot of people don't know the answer to this question, maybe that could be a book. And, and so then I tend to explore it. And uh, and if it makes sense, then, then we'll turn it into a speech. And then if the speech works, we turn it into a book. Okay. And, and so how many books have you done so far? Uh, Talk Triggers, which is my newest one, is my sixth book. Right. Okay. And the first one was when? First one uh, is called The Now Revolution, and that book was published in 2011. Okay. So you've done almost almost a book a year for the last few years. I have. I, I, I'm doing it a little more slowly now just because it's, it becomes it's such a lot of work to, to put them together and then uh, promote them, etc. So So now I, I tend to... Uh, and, you know, I'm trying to settle in almost like a musician would do with an album. Most cases, you know, I, I try yeah. and do one every, uh, every couple of years two two and a half years. So are you working on a new one now? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, and, and I, I, I don't really have a plan for it. You know, as always, I, you know, I'm listening, I'm, I'm listening for the questions and, and trying to find the pattern of questions that will yield, uh, the next book, but, but not there yet. Since this one's only been out for, uh, a month or two, I'm, I'm not quite ready to, to dive back in just yet. And, and what's the reaction been like to Talk Triggers so oh, far? It's, it's been fantastic. I think it's my best book. And it's it's a it's a book about word of mouth marketing and how the best way to grow any business is, is to have your customers grow it for you. And it's such a universally important premise. Every business, small, large, US, UK, B2B, B2C, it applies universally. We, we can all, we all know that word of mouth is important, but yet we almost invariably take it for granted. We don't actually do anything in our businesses to overtly or proactively create word of mouth. We just sort of assume that it will happen. And this book gives you a framework for, for doing word of mouth on purpose, which can be quite useful. And so how did you go about, yeah, there's, I mean, I, I listened to the audiobook version of it, which was um, narrated by yourself and um, I forget your partner's name. Daniel Lemon. Daniel, that was it. And so how do you go about collating all the, the, yeah, the great stories that you had in that book? Oh, thanks. We do have a ton of case studies and stories. I, th- I think there's 29 in the book itself across different disciplines and circumstances. And, and, and then we've subsequently collected another geez, I don't know, 20 or 30 that we keep in a database uh, and we and we swap them in and out for presentations and and such. Um, it, some of the stories we knew, but a lot of the stories were fed to us. So one of the things that I do differently than most people who speak and write is usually the way it works is people write a book, publish a book, and then create a speech based on the book. I write a speech, make the speech good, and if it's good enough, then I will write a book based on the speech. So before this book, Talk Triggers, was published, I had given some, I don't know, 40 40 keynote presentations on that topic. And there's a couple of reasons why I like that approach. First, it because you've told the stories uh, several times and you've kind of polished it and perfected it, it 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 gives the book a little bit more of a narrative arc than a lot of business books have because it's sort of rooted in a speech which has a beginning and a middle and an end and then to address your question specifically what's great about it is 
every time you're out there doing the speech, people come up to you and say, oh, hey, I've got an, an example of a company that has a talk trigger. Have you heard this one? So a lot of the examples in the book came from people who saw early versions of the speech before the speech was turned into a book. So it almost becomes sort of a crowdsourcing example uh, circumstance, which is really great. Because I, you know, the world knows a lot more examples than I could possibly uncover. So it was, it was really terrific that way. And and what do you tend to speak to a typical type of audience, or is it pretty varied? Pretty varied, which keeps it really fun and interesting for me. Sometimes uh, I will do a homogenous audience. Like my next event is in Boston in a week or so, and it's it's all people who work for one company. Sometimes I'll do one that's uh, everybody is in one particular industry, right? They're all in mining or hospitals or what have you. And then sometimes you're at more of a conference uh, type of a scenario where you've got people from a, a larger swath of different types of companies and organizations. And so you've got kind of different versions of the talk based on the composition of, of that audience. So Upreneur Summit, for example, is an interesting uh sort of event because it's it's people who are trying to create or, or grow um you know entrepreneurial businesses that are rooted in information and and their own uh personalities and the things like that so lots and lots and lots of different types of expertise in that room but a more of a homogenous kind of what, what are you right it's not big companies they don't have tons of marketing departments or you know hr departments things like that so uh, in the Upreneur Summit, we used more smaller business examples than I would in a different uh, setting. Right. Okay. And and so it, you mentioned in your so you've also got the company that you um, mm -hmm. that you're still working for. And what so what sort of things are you doing with that company? So my firm is called Convince and Convert, and we are a boutique strategy firm that works with large companies on social media strategy. We do content marketing strategy. We do word of mouth strategy, of course, and we do customer service strategy. So we're not an agency uh, in the in the sense that we'll you know, make your ads or write your emails or build your landing page, what have you. We really are a strategic consultancy. So we come in, we do an audit of what uh, an organization is doing today. We We spend a lot of time looking at what other folks are doing use our own expertise. So we have a lot of software tools and a lot of analysis capabilities. And we come back and say, all right, here's what you should do over the next 12 to 18 months. Here's a roadmap for getting there. And, and then we typically depart. So we, we really come in and we create strategic plans, give those strategic plans to our clients who then implement them. And, and what kind of problems do you typically find that companies are having? It, it's changed over time and continues to change, which is what makes it intellectually interesting. You know, on the social media side, uh, for example, it just doesn't – organic social media, free social media in many cases just doesn't work as well as it used to. It's not as easy as it once was. Competition is, has ratcheted up. Uh, certainly Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, are, are – would certainly prefer if you're a business that you pay them to reach your audience in social media. So thinking through what the advertising strategy might be, uh, and also really thinking through what, what is the storytelling online? So, so how do you convey what's interesting and meritorious about your business 
in an online environment where people have very short attention spans? Is it a podcast like this? Is it is it a video show? Is it an Instagram tip of the week? So we do a lot of that kind of work where we, we help businesses find their best stories and then how to craft those stories in a repeatable, compelling way across some sort of digital platform. Sometimes it's YouTube, sometimes it's Instagram, sometimes it's a podcast, sometimes it's a blog, sometimes it's Pinterest. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it is what it needs to be, but it's a real challenge for a lot of businesses now to figure out how to effectively communicate uh, online. And are the types of companies that are coming forward to you, are they typically from the same sort of industry or for just from a real diverse range of industries? It's really diverse. We are, are working on trying to be a little bit more narrow just because it's it's easier to have deeper expertise in an industry we've worked over and over and over. It's also easier in some cases to acquire new clients, but but generally speaking, we don't specialize. So some of our clients currently, we work with Oracle, a large software company. We work with Cisco, a large software and hardware company. Uh, we work with uh, two different uh, universities in the States. Uh, we work with some large travel and tourism organizations. We've done work for the United Nations, uh, we've done work for Hilton Hotels. So it's kind of all over the board, which is fun uh, because every 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 assignment brings new challenges and you have to learn a lot about a lot of different industries. And I think that helps us uh, see connections where other people might not see them. And it certainly helps, it helps me writing books and giving speeches because you get exposed to so many different types of marketing and business challenges that uh, you, you can kind of connect the dots in a way that uh, maybe isn't immediately obvious. And are any of the companies ever resistant to some of the ideas that you give them? <laughs> Funny you say that. Uh, yes, yesterday, as a matter of fact. <laughs> uh, as recently as a few hours ago, <laughs> that happened. Look, when I, I'll tell you a story. When I, when I was um, 18 years old, my very first job, I was an intern at a public relations firm in Phoenix, Arizona called Nelson Ralston Robb. And it was my first real job, not, not you know, selling hamburgers or what have you. And I remember it so clearly. It, my very first week there, my boss, who, who ran the firm, called me into his office and said, I want to tell you something uh, about what we do here that you should always remember. I said, oh, great. He said, our job is to give our clients our best professional advice. Their job is to decide whether or not to take it. And he was very right about that. And that, that lesson has served me really well now for, for now almost 30 years since that conversation, more than 30 years since that conversation took place. It, if you're going to be in the strategy business, I believe you need to provide the best strategy. Mm. But sometimes people don't actually want that. They want you to ratify their current strategy. What, what they want you to do is say, yep, you guys have it figured out. We agree. Hmm. And sometimes that's the path that's easier to take because you know what they're looking for. But I won't do that. I don't have to do that. We have enough business that, that I'm, I'm not going to um, I'm not going to tell somebody something that they want to hear just because they want to hear it. I don't think that's a good way to run a business. So one of the things that I tell every client is we're going to tell you the truth. You may or may not like the truth, but we're going to tell you the truth. And then you can decide how to handle that. And we had one of those yesterday. 
Right. Um, and what kind of... What kind of thing was it? Are you able to talk about what happened yesterday? Yeah, a little bit, not not in great specifics, but but it's a, an organization um, in higher education that has invested a tremendous amount of time and money uh, in in a, a mobile application based on one set of assumptions about about audiences and functionality, and we've done some analysis that suggests that those assumptions were perhaps. Um, incorrect, and that they need to be much more specific and focused around who this application is for and and what it actually does. So ironically, what we're suggesting is that they should do less, not more, but but you know they they have proceeded for the last two years under uh, a thesis which is we should do more. And the problem with that is it's a bit of a strange bedfellow scenario. And you know one of the things that I've learned in my now long career, is that if you try to be everything to everybody, you end up being nothing to nobody because relevance is the only thing that matters. And and the broader you are, by definition, the less relevant you are. And that's why I always tell people who have podcasts, is look, if you want to have a podcast, the only way your podcast can succeed is if you are the favorite podcast in the world of some people. And until you can figure out who those people are who are going to think this is the best podcast on the planet – the podcast will never truly succeed. Mm. You got to know who your tribe is and, and you have to uh, give them what they need over and over and over. And, and sometimes uh, we sort of lose sight of that. And, and we think that that being broad actually um, is a better approach and it almost never is. Mm. In um, uh, Hug Your Haters, one of the things that I really liked in that book was where you, you kind of turn things on their head and you get people, which, well, you certainly got me thinking in a different way about how you might have a bad situation, but you can turn that into a great one if you approach it in the right way. So how did, how did that come about? Similarly, I had clients asking me a question over and over and over, which was, we feel like we kind of understand how to use technology for marketing, but we're really troubled by technology for customer service because we work with a lot of big companies and, and for you know decades, customer service for big companies was, was phone, um, letter, <laughs> send a complaint letter in the post, um, face-to-face, and then, of course, uh, email. Now, and in more recent years, customer service is entirely different because it's public, right? You have Twitter, you've got Facebook, you have discussion boards and forums and ratings and review sites and TripAdvisor and all this other stuff. And the big change is that today, customer service is a spectator sport. It's not just about the customer and the company. It's the customer, the company, and a bunch of other people looking on from the sidelines. And that changes not only how companies need to handle customer service, but it also dramatically changes the economic implications for customer service, which is why I say in that book, and other people have said it as well, that customer service in some ways is the new marketing, because how you handle existing customers can actually acquire new customers if you do it disproportionately well. So it's it, operationally, it's a lot harder to to do customer service in all these new channels, WhatsApp now, WeChat, all these other things that didn't used to exist. It just you know, you feel like you've got to spin a lot of plates. And then, of course, the, the tone and tenor of customers' um, feedback is, is sometimes a little rough these days. I think rougher than it used to be. Um, there's there's more haters out there. And, and sometimes people have a real hard time figuring out what to do about that. 
And so when in before you were writing the book, when you were going out giving your speeches around, you know, to different audiences and you were sort of collating the best stories that you would use for the book, was there from your memory any particular stories that always went down exceptionally well? For the your haters, you mean for the customer service side of it? Yeah, from the yeah. your haters. Well, let's see. That's a good question. You know, I I, I feel like the the best way to illustrate those points in in a in a presentation, a book's a little different, but in a presentation form, what I try to do is I find a company who's in the room, right? Somebody who I know is going to be there. And then I show how they handled a customer very, very well on on Facebook or in public somehow. And then I show examples of other companies, not in the room, of course, uh, doing it really poorly. And usually that juxtaposition really helps people understand what we're looking for, right? Because the keys are speed, right? Replying quickly is incredibly, incredibly important. In fact, one of the examples that really resonates with people in that presentation is from Discover Card, which is a, a, a credit card company in the States. Um, you're probably more familiar with Visa and MasterCard and American Express. Discover Card is the fourth largest um, credit card company in the US. And, and uh, they have made a massive, massive investment in customer service to the degree that their internal uh, policies and procedures are such that they answer every customer in every channel within 10 minutes. So if you tweet them within 10 minutes, call them within 10 minutes, email within 10 minutes, which is very, very fast for a giant credit card company. And they've had to spend a tremendous amount of time, money, personnel, software, training to make that happen. But it has produced a tremendous amount of goodwill and grown the company uh, successfully. So that's an example of a big company doing it well. But usually I try and use small company examples in presentations so it becomes more um, more realistic and, and resonant for the people in the room. We're like, well, I'm not a giant corporation. I can't invest $250 million in this initiative. But I can encourage Julie, who answers the phone, to answer the phone more quickly. Hmm. And so, I mean, most of the people listening uh, to this show are, are typically small businesses. Yeah. What what kind of advice would you give someone in, in a small business for turning around a situation yeah. where maybe they've re- received some, you know, a negative comment on yeah. social media? Or a couple of things. I, one, reply every time. Reply every time. Because even if you feel it's outlandish or it's untrue, if you don't say anything, everybody thinks it's true. So you should reply to every complaint in every channel every time. Now, what happens in small businesses is they think, geez, I don't have the time or resources to do that. Well, yeah, you do. Of course you do. You just choose to not deploy your time and resources that way. Spend a little bit less money on marketing and a little bit more money on customer service, and you'll probably end up better off financially um, out, the, out the back end, right? Um, when you reply to a customer... One of the mistakes we make is we try to argue the point. Well, that's not true. The soup wasn't actually cold. We always serve our soup, you know, piping hot. The customer's perception is their reality. And after the fact, you're not going to change that. They believe what they believe. Whether you think they should believe that or not is frankly immaterial. It doesn't matter. And you're not going to change that point. So you're much better off saying, we're sorry. 
that you didn't uh, enjoy your experience with us. That's certainly not uh, how we typically operate our business. We would love to talk to you about this uh, in more detail. Please feel free to reach out directly and, and uh, email or call me. And I hope you give us another chance. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much oxygen on the high road, but but people typically don't take it because especially small business owners, when somebody complains, they feel like somebody is telling them that their baby is ugly. Mm-hmm. And so they react out of uh, anger or shame or embarrassment or something like that. And, and they don't think about it rationally, which is, yeah, so what? Maybe the customer is wrong. Who cares? Suck it up. Tell them you're sorry and move on. Because you got to remember, so many people could be watching this exchange. Hmm. Everybody else sees how you handle it. And when you fly off the handle uh, and and yell at the customer or accuse them of lying or whatever, it, it's so counterproductive. It, it, really, it really doesn't make the situation any better. The other thing I will tell you, one of the key rules in that book is the rule of reply only twice, which says that you should never, ever, ever, ever under any circumstances reply to a customer more than twice in public because it doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't make anything better. Like if a customer says, we hate you, and you answer back, we're terribly sorry, um, tell, tell me more. I don't want to tell you more. We just hate you. You're the worst. You answer a second time. Wow, we really must have done something to upset you. We would love to talk about this uh, in more detail so we can get some facts. Uh, please call me at this number. Please email us here. And then they come back a third time and say, I don't want to call you. I don't want to email you. We just hate you. Then at that point, you just walk away. You just close the laptop because they've already demonstrated that they don't actually want to engage. They don't want to help. And you going back and forth is just giving them what they want, which is attention. You've already gone on record to show all the onlookers that you do care, that you do want to engage, that you do want to give them a chance to to communicate with you. And if they don't take that chance, well, then just, just leave. One of the mistakes that people make is they try to um, go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to, with every customer to bring it to a positive resolution. And that's not going to happen in many cases, right? You've got you to sort of say your piece and move on. And um, what would you suggest in a situation? Um, I saw a conversation a couple of months ago where some people were talking about how they'd received a bad review on Google and the review they were pretty sure was from a competitor because mm-hmm. the the situation described had never actually happened. It was yeah. just a bad review. Yeah, so how- it happens. I mean, there's no question it happens. I, I don't think um, you know it would be it would be ridiculous to suggest that 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 doesn't um, occasionally occur. Now, does that mean that you should not pay attention to reviews and not answer anybody? No, of of course not. Um, you, you should absolutely do that because it's going to be a minority. If you think, if you actually think that a review is fraudulent, then all the platforms, Google, Facebook, Yelp, TripAdvisor, blah, 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 they all have mechanisms for reporting that, right? So you just report it and you say, here's why I think it's fraudulent and here's why I think it should be taken down. And they may or may not take it down, uh, but that's the right way to handle it. What What is the wrong way to handle it is to answer back and say, how dare you? You're actually working for Larry, my competitor. You know that that is not that is not going to work um, because then everybody else is going to pile on. It's going to become this big public fight. You're better off to uh, either say, you know what, 
I think this is probably bogus, but I'm going to assume that it's true and and apologize or what have you accordingly and or report it as possibly fraudulent to uh, to the website in question uh, and see if they can sort it out. But it's hard to prove. Right. That's that's the that's the tricky part. Right. It's you know, it, it, it's hard for anybody, you or or Google or anybody else to say to say, yeah, we we know this to be fraudulent because X, Y, Z. It's it's just tricky. Hmm. Yeah, and so I mean, I know there's been quite a few cases where Google haven't, for example, taken the, the review down. Yeah, so, yeah, because they can't prove it. You know, it's, and, and they're not going to they're not going to take it down unless they can prove it's fraudulent, because that opens them up to to, to charges of censorship and and other things. Um, Amazon's the same way. I mean, Amazon has the the verified purchase button now. Mm-hmm. So if, if if Amazon, if you look in the account and Amazon knows that this account has actually bought this thing, so you look in your purchase history, then when you leave a review for that product, it'll say verified purchase. So that you know this person bought this thing and therefore their review of this thing, presumably, um, is their actual experience of this thing. But there's still tons and tons and tons and tons of reviews on Amazon that, that aren't verified purchases. And so you're like, well, did this person even buy this product or do they work for the company who makes the product? So, you know, to some degree, uh, we probably as consumers uh, put a little bit more trust in reviews than we probably should, frankly. Uh, but uh, the reality is that more than 80% of, of consumers trust reviews. And they, in most cases, trust reviews as much as they trust recommendations from people they actually know. Consequently, uh, as business owners, we're not going to be able to fight that fight, right? You, you, you sort of have to, you have to um, uh, understand how important consumer feedback is to how people choose to spend their money. And, and you have to, uh, you got to play that game. That's why we wrote the book. Yeah. And, and on a similar, I mean, I asked you there for, uh, I asked you about stories for, for small businesses yeah. on, the, on the Hug Your Haters. Yeah. And on the same thing on Talk Triggers, what, what um, suggestions would you give for small, small businesses for Talk Triggers? Yeah, I don't know that I fully answered your question about small businesses for Hug Your Haters, so let me give you one. There's a really interesting business. I'll give you two stories. Um, okay. There is a, a restaurant chain. It's not that small, but they operate small. Uh, called Le Pan Quotidien. Um, they're, they're based in Belgium. They've got locations uh, throughout continental Europe and and also in some in the US. They have an amazing program where if somebody leaves them a negative review, like a one-star review on, uh, on a website, they respond in public, as you should always do, and say, we're sorry, we disappointed you, all the things that I've mentioned. But then what they do is they contact that person in private using a private message. You know, all the different platforms have private message functions typically. And they say, you know, we responded in in public and we are sorry about your experience, but we've been thinking, you're a really perceptive customer. You know, you notice things that other customers don't notice. Would it be okay if we asked you to come back to one of our restaurants, say once a month, and we'll pay you for it. We'll give you a gift card every time. What we'd like you to do is fill out this detailed profile uh, of your experience each time. Kind of, you know, tell us all the things that you liked and didn't like about your experience because you really, you, you really get it. We we really appreciate your feedback. Unbelievable. So they're doing this now, and they have like a hundred of these people, secret shoppers that 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 turn they started off as haters and are now working for the company to improve their operations. And all it costs them is a, a gift card every time. Super smart, right? You're taking the people who didn't like you and you're making them part of the effort to to be as good as you can. I, I love that. Uh, I love that example. 
And what, what results did they get from that? And so they've, they've built uh, a bunch of different changes and improvements in the operations of the business that were suggested by these people who originally gave them one-star reviews. It's amazing. There's a, another example from a, a business. It's just a pizza restaurant. There's, you know, it's a, a small pizza chain, family-owned in California in the U.S. called Fresh Brothers. And, and Debbie uh, uh, is the owner of Fresh Brothers. She answers all the reviews herself, which is really a best practice, right? It's better to have it come from ownership if you can do it. And so she answers every review. And when somebody uh, leaves a positive review, she answers back and says, hi, I'm Debbie. I own Fresh Brothers. Thanks so much for your taking the time to leave us a review. I'm so delighted you had a good experience. Hey, could you, if I sent you a gift card for $10, would you come back and bring somebody with you who's never been here before? Hmm. Smart. So now they get all these gift cards. They spend a lot more than $10. Then if somebody leaves a negative review, one-star review, she asks her back and says, Hi, I'm Debbie. I'm the owner of Fresh Brothers. We are terribly sorry about your experience in our restaurant. We were super busy that night. Somebody called in sick. We were really shorthanded, but that's no excuse. That's my problem, not your problem. We're really, really sorry about how long it took you to get your pizza. I tell you what, if we sent you a $10 gift card, would you give us another try? Now, she says these things in public, right, on a public website. So now not only do the people who are unhappy or happy get a chance to come back and get a gift card, all the other people looking on like, wow, these guys really stand behind their product. That Debbie's really something else. So she told me that people come into the restaurant all the time and say, you know what? There's a bunch of other pizza restaurants around here, but I come in here because I saw how you handled that guy on Yelp or I saw how you handled that guy on Facebook or Google. And I asked her, I interviewed her for the book. I said, Debbie – this seems great, but man, how much money you spend it on gift cards? She said, well, here's the thing, Jay. We keep a list of them. So it's not like somebody's getting 15 gift cards from us. And she said, we hand out, you know, maybe a dozen a week or something, one way or the other. So he says, $100 a week. She said, it's the best marketing we could ever do. Absolutely. So, it, you know, I mean, a $10 acquisition cost is nothing, uh, you know, generally speaking. And, and it pays dividends beyond just that one customer because, again, it's in public and people see it. So she's like, it's, we don't think of it as an expense. We think of it as an investment, which is a really uh, illuminated way to think about customer service. That customer service is an investment, not a cost. And, and there was so, because that story was in Hug Your Haters, and there were yes. so many other great stories along those lines. Um, and and, and it, on that same same tip i'd love to give you some a couple of stories maybe from talk triggers because i know that people listening to this would get so much value out of some of the great stories in there let me define a talk trigger first it'll be easier to um uh, understand where we're coming from here so a talk trigger is a strategic operational difference a choice that you make in your business to compel conversation. It's something that you do that your customers don't necessarily expect. And so when they encounter it, they tell that story to their friends. And those friends, some of those people, become customers of yours. You're essentially doing something on purpose that turns your customers into volunteer marketers. That's the idea. But it has to be something that they don't necessarily expect because I don't, I don't know everybody listening. I, I may know some of you, but I, I know this for sure. Nobody ever says, hey, let me tell you about this perfectly adequate experience I just had. Yeah, because that's a terrible story, right? That's a, that's a story that's not worth listening to. So, so what we're trying to do with a talk trigger is give 
your customers a consistent story to tell their friends. And that story has to be interesting enough for them to spend time to tell it. So it can't be something that is, that is, you know, mundane or perfunctory or boring in some way. It has to be something different. That doesn't mean, you know, we're talking about let's be wacky and we should rent an elephant or whatever. That's not what I'm saying here. And in fact, many of the best talk triggers are not outlandish in any way. Some are, but most are not. It's just about doing something that they do not expect. So uh, a good small business example is there is a, a locksmith in New York City. Uh, his name is Jay Sofer, and Jay runs a company called Lockbusters, just him and another couple of guys. They are the highest rated locksmith in New York City, and one of the highest rated businesses in all of New York City, regardless of business type, which is a very high bar to clear. That is an extraordinary accomplishment. Mm. Their talk trigger looks like this. When Jay finishes changing the locks uh, on on your flat or what have you, before he departs, he does a security audit of all the door and window locks in your home. And then he also oils all the door and window locks in your home, does those things entirely for free. Hmm. Now, that is extraordinary. You do not expect that to happen from a locksmith. Most locksmiths are a little shady to begin with, frankly. And he is definitely not and does all this free stuff and is super kind and really a, a great guy. And, and it has propelled his business forward. That is what we would call a generosity talk trigger. He is giving customers more than they expect. And that's the story that they tell about him. That is an operational choice that Jay has made to incorporate into his business. It's not marketing, not in the classic sense. It's not an ad. It's not a campaign. It's not a contest. It's an operational decision. And that's just how they do business. But they've made that decision because it then gives his customers a story to tell. Hey, man, I had this great experience with a locksmith. It was crazy. Not only did he like, give me my new locks, but then he did a security audit in my whole house and oiled every lock. That was amazing. Right? It's a story that people will tell. Every That's what's so great about talk triggers. Every business, every single business in the world can, and in my estimation should, have a talk trigger. Like, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you want your customers to tell a consistent story about you? Hmm. And I like I love the thing in that, but that particular story you just mentioned in the book, you said I think it was one of the um, a girl responded by saying oh, I think I might lose my keys more often or something. Yeah, so. yeah, I heard the actual review. The actual review. This is on Yelp. Uh, the big review site is uh, I almost want to get locked out of my house again. Uh, my experience was that great. Which is a pretty strong review. That's a that's a positive testimonial uh, for a locksmith for sure. Yeah, it's great. Jay's Jay's terrific. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I would urge anyone listening to, to get hold of Hug Your Haters Thanks. and even, to, um, uh, uh, no, sorry, Talk Triggers and Hug Your Haters because they're both excellent books. But I'm, I'm, I want to be respectful of your time. We haven't got a lot of time left. Before we finish, what would you say about the whole area of exceeding expectations and over-delivering to customers? Did you have any thoughts about that? Absolutely. I mean, I mean Talk Triggers is essentially the playbook for doing just that. I mean, the whole, the whole idea of a talk trigger, the whole idea of word of mouth, the whole idea of your customers telling your story over and over only works. It literally only works if you exceed expectations. Hmm. If you meet expectations, 
Nobody tells that story. If I go over to the corner right now and I flick the switch on my wall and the lights come on, the electric company has met my expectations. Hmm. But I'm not telling that story to anybody. Hmm. If you want your customers to recruit new customers on your behalf, if you want to grow your business by having your customers grow it for you, you can only do that if you exceed expectations. It is literally a requirement for word of mouth. You have to exceed expectations. And in fact, one of the ways, really one of the main ways that people decide whether or not to leave a review is whether you have manifestly exceeded expectations or dramatically fallen short of expectations. Mm, yeah. Right? No, you know, that's why if you look at the bell curve of, of reviews, there's almost no three-star reviews. There's very, very few three-star reviews mathematically. Why? Because there's no story there. There's not a story of failure and there's not a story of triumph. So it's not a story worth telling, which is why you don't see a lot of three-star reviews. People leave a review when they want to warn their friends or give their friends a tip. And those things only happen if you've either exceeded expectations or fallen short of expectations. But my advice is this. You have to actually know what those expectations are. And we all think we do, and we're almost always wrong. So the first step in creating a talk trigger, the first step in, in, in really turning word of mouth into a, in a growth engine for your business is to interview a bunch of your customers. So the way we do it, talk about this in the book, is you come up with a customer journey map. So you document all the different ways that, that you interact with your customers. And then we recommend that you interview 18 customers, six new customers, six longtime customers, and six lost customers. Mm -hmm. 18 customers, which is a, a, a real investment in time, but it's worth it. And in each of those conversations, each of those interviews, you're asking them, hey, when we sent you a proposal or whatever the inflection point is in question, what did you expect would happen? When you called and left us a message and we called you back, what did you expect would happen? See, what you're trying to do is create an expectations map. Mm -hmm. Because when you have an actual map, a real map, not just in your head, but a real map of what your customers expect, you then know what they do not expect. And what your customers don't expect when you exceed expectations, that's the gold in the river. That's where everything good happens. Hmm. That's some fantastic advice. Um, Jay, I really appreciate your time. If, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go to? Uh, a couple of different things. The new book is at talktriggers.com, talktriggers.com. Uh, all kinds of free resources there, discussion guides, videos, research, infographics, case studies, downloadable configurators, all kinds of free stuff at talktriggers.com, and obviously links to buy the book itself. You can find me. Our main site is convinceandconvert.com. That's convinceandconvert.com. That is our uh, information hub. We have almost 5,000 free articles for business owners and managers on marketing and customer service, uh, a whole network of, of, uh, of podcasts, videos, webinars, all kinds of stuff. Because you, do you have a weekly podcast? 
I do have a weekly show called Social Pros that I've been hosting for almost nine years. And each week, my co-host and I interview somebody who is um, a social media manager for uh, usually a medium-sized or, or large company. So we we talk to the person who runs social media for um, you know Ford automobiles or what have you. It's really it's a fun show. So, well, it makes sense for people to go and check out Jay's show and, and definitely get hold of his books as well. And I'll, all of the things you just mentioned, I'll put all of those in the show notes. And it's been, a, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you, Jay. It was a blast. Thank you so much. Great questions. A terrific conversation. I really appreciate it. I cannot wait to see everybody out there exceeding expectations. Thank you very much, Jay. You bet. A massive thank you to Jay Bear for that excellent episode. Next week, episode 14 is released on Christmas Day, and my guest is John DeJulius. He wrote a, a book called Welcome to the Customer Service Revolution, which has some, some really good ideas on, uh, on ways you can over-deliver to your customers, as you might expect on this show. So please do subscribe, and it'll be great if you can leave a review. Right now, I'm going to leave you with someone who's going to tell you all about another podcast called The Hot Butter Business Show. Entrepreneurship is a fun word, but a tough journey. If you are on the entrepreneurial path and need some help along the way, tune in to Hot Butter Business Podcast, where four entrepreneurs who met through a program called Co-Starters decided after the program to start a podcast. They each use their unique skills, talents, and businesses to unite in this podcast in order to give their audience a look into the mind of an entrepreneur. So subscribe to Hot Butter Business Podcast and walk with these four aspiring entrepreneurs on their journey. Welcome back. It would be great if you can join our Facebook group. Just search for Exceeded Expectations on Facebook. Start a conversation about some points you've heard on this episode or one of the other episodes. Maybe tell a story about a time when you received some, an amazing experience that you didn't expect. You can also, also nominate the person that you would like to hear interviewed on the show and maybe even leave a book review on a book that you've read about customer service over delivery and so on. So if you do have suggestions, we'd love to hear about those. And thank you very much for listening to the show. And I'll see you next week and have a great Christmas. <laughs>